Hello, everybody. This is Trina Gunzel, and welcome to another episode of the Legacy and Legends podcast. I love being able to interview authors, creative people who want to do amazing things and spotlight them and their success stories. And today we're going to take some time to do that. You're also welcome to access your special gift I have for you guys, Seven Steps to Simple Sales. You can just access that in the comments below as being guests on our show. And we are going to have some fun today with my featured author friend, Edward Miskey. Welcome to the show, Edward. Hello. <laughs> I'm so happy to have you. And will you let everybody know where you're checking in from? That was our interesting. Sure. Yeah, I'm in New York City. New York City. Okay. I have some other connections. We've already made one connection for you. I'm going to connect you to another artist friend um, who is another author and has a publishing company. So I think that'll be a fun connection for you. Ooh. Remind me. Yes. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> okay. And a lot of people are super curious when they meet performers, when they meet authors, it's like suddenly they've put you on this pedestal and now they're just like so excited to meet an author friend. And so we want to know some of the real things like what's your favorite song? Oh no. Oh god. Um there's so many of them. Uh oh, man. Uh I'm a big Queen fan, so that's like a thing. I'm also like a new Taylor Swift fan. I haven't crossed over into the Swifty territory yet, but like the new album, love it. Um love it. I just I kind of am just like a big kind of girl pop fan. Like I grew up like I was a teenager in the late 90s, early 2000s, so like the boy band thing, the Britney Spears genre, like yeah. all of that, Mariah Carey. But I don't know. I have like, I want to say something really profound, but <laughs> <don't> <laughs> so, <know. laughs> you know, we do sparkles too when we have things in common. So all of that, uh, yeah, the girl power, like just <laughs> it's great. Those are yeah. very positive songs too. So it is tough. You can't just pick one, and it's okay. It's kind of like a little game show in the beginning, so we just get to know you. So. If you can't just narrow it to one, it's okay. Do you have a favorite movie? Ooh, yeah. This is kind of a divisive thing. Like, it's called Big Business. It was released in, Ooh. I think, 1986. Uh -huh. <laughs> it's Bette Midler and Lily Tomlin play twins of each other. So it's oh, like they're, they're duplicated on screen. And it's divisive in the sense that either you've heard of it and you know every single line <laughs> in the movie, or you have never heard of it and you have no idea what I'm talking about. <laughs> <laughs> well, see, we're going to find out because now all the fans with your books, they're going to be watching Big Business or they're going to be throwing quotes in the comments below because they're so excited that you should. Yeah, that. Because, because that's it's a, it's a whole separate language. When you meet someone who knows this movie, you yeah. immediately go into Quote Central because it's such a quotable movie. And like, I love it. Yeah. <laughs> Usually when I start watching movies, I grew up watching so many movies. I feel like I've seen like everything, but it said Bette Midler. I'm sure my mom is such a huge Bette Midler fan. It's like everything. She could probably quote the whole movie. <laughs> I test her and send her my way. <laughs> I will. I will. <laughs> so what about, I know a lot of people are doing different, whether it's fad diets or just favorite things they like to eat. Um, do you have a favorite snack? Like they picture authors doing the sit down thing with the special, you know, I'm not, I'm not really a snack person. I'm like a meal person. You know, like <laughs> yeah. it's it's the Italian yeah. thing. You get it can be a meal. Um, yeah, totally. We get I, <laughs> I mean, I love a pasta moment. I am newly obsessed with this uh Mexican place near my apartment that I just discovered recently. Um, but my go-to like New York City food thing is like a halal cart. Cause like for oh. seven dollars, you get like five pounds of food, and it is so good. Oh my it's, it's, gosh. Okay, we're gonna, 
Yeah, we call it street meat. It's um, it's really good. We're going <laughs> to add that to our trip. Let me come up there and visit. Because the only thing I ever know is like a Grace Papaya hot dog because of the movie Fools Rush In. Is it worth right. it? Um, They used to be, but I think they're all closed now. Oh, that's so sad. Is I know, it hard to eat a Grace Papaya? Um, I don't think it I think the last one, if it's not closed, it's on like 72nd in Amsterdam. Um, I used to live around that area and it was, I mean, I went like one time, but. Not all that. I mean, this is like, it's the marketing, right? So if they didn't just go and be all that during the show, when I saw, I was like, it's like a crappy hot dog stand. It's not really it, what I thought it can be. I mean, it's not that it's not good. I've definitely had like a few like not sober evenings there where <laughs> you get like the hot dog with cheese on it. Um, right. But it's, it's never it's never been a go-to. I like always sought out like this halal cart thing. Like I know where the good ones are and I would just be like, take my money. <laughs> Adding that to the list. That's always good, you guys. For your marketing gurus, when you're having that message, take my money, that's when you know you nailed it. <laughs> good yeah, job. absolutely. So <laughs> Yes. Um, I am curious, what first inspired you to write since you have your new book here? Um, you know, like as a kid, I wrote, I was, a, I journaled as a kid and then I kind of fell mm -hmm. out of it. Um, I loved doing like creative writing projects or book reports. Like I loved a book report. I was that kid. Me too. That. Like most people have never heard anyone say that. Make me feel like I belong. That's great. Right. Like, oh my God, I was such a nerd, but I loved a book report. But um, I never, writing was never really on my radar after really high school. Um, you know, I moved to New York and I was doing that whole thing. And I, I kind of fell off the reading bandwagon after a while too, because you just get too busy here to do anything. Um, but but like there was just this moment after, um, it was a couple years after I had been like declared cancer free that I met this person and they had a similar brain space to mine that we were talking about, which was just feeling stuck. Like yeah. we're done with this. We're done with the cancer thing. We're done being a full-time patient. I hate every component of my life. What do I do? And it's mm -hmm. the difference is like, like knowing how to navigate through that and making choices or not. Yeah. And yeah. So I was like, this is the book I want to write. And having known that I always wanted to do something with that experience, I wasn't really sure what. Um, but I spoke with him. I called a couple other friends who had been through the cancer experience and talked to them. And they're like, oh, yeah, that's the thing. Never would have occurred to me. Um, wow. So I really, I really kind of wanted to hop on this, like, conversation of, like, yeah, being a patient is tough. And they tell you certain things. I talk a lot about things that you're not told um, mm -hmm. from the medical community um, while you're going through that. But the after the fact is like mm -hmm. almost harder because there's so much structure to being a patient. Like you have appointments and the doctor comes in and does this and then you're getting blood work and then you're doing this and your days are very like strategically laid out. And mm -hmm. you have to be careful when you're at home because your immune system is compromised and you have to like be careful of what you're eating and who you're interacting with and where you're going. Like the masking and quarantine thing during COVID was yep. so easy for me because I'd done it already. Oh, um, right. Yeah. So, so it, it was just kind of like you go from that very, very, very structured existence mm -hmm. to like, Oh, you're good now. You can go back to doing whatever it was you're doing. 
but there's this big gap between what you mm. were doing and now, and it's things change, you know, I'm sure a lot of people feel a shift like with COVID kind of tapering off a little bit, like yeah. a lot of people are getting divorced. A lot of people are changing careers. A lot of people are like doing something else that they like, mm -hmm. you know, whatever, whatever they were doing before is not a thing. And I don't know if that's like a trauma response or if it's a kind of taking your morality into consideration mm -hmm. and be like, Oh, life is short and what mm -hmm. am i doing and stop it and this is not what i want and so i'm going to go do this um and so it's kind of that same brain space of figuring out what is my actual life right now i don't like the mm -hmm. people i'm hanging out with conversations i'm having are irritating me my career feels empty what am i doing mm -hmm. um and just kind of figuring out who you are because that has all been taken away and mm -hmm. so that was kind of the conversation I wanted to have within this book and make it as fun as possible. So the whole thing's framed as musical, but like, cause it's not a fun conversation to have, like looking, taking a yeah. good hard look at yourself is not fun unless it's within the context of like, you know, Phantom of the Opera. <laughs> <laughs> that is such a cool perspective though, because that's your edge then. So with your book, most books do not take something, you know, that is as impactful as having cancer and put a lighthearted spin of the feel of a musical. Like when you think of a musical, you just lighten up, you know? Yeah. Well, and I tried to make it as funny as possible. Like in the, in the description of the book, it's like the funniest cancer can be book. <laughs> there you go. And that's the thing. Like people, I, I still feel like that too. Like when they say laughter is the best medicine, you know, even the other day when we're at the hospital with my husband, like we're laughing, like is McDreamy going to come out? Like we're making jokes yeah. and, and because when you live in that heavy place, it's heavy anyway. But if you can find that brighter side of it, you know, I would tease like one of the parts of my book, like waking up in the night and literally smacking my head into the door because I'm trying to be quiet, and not turn the lights on for my husband to go check my son's blood sugar. And my type of diabetic parents are laughing, reading it because they're like, that happens. They get it. That is the real right behind the scenes. Yeah. Well, and, and the other part of it is too, like, yes, I'm a cancer survivor and yes, I wrote this book from that perspective, but I, I have had a lot of people who work in the medical industry or who have had family or friends or whomever go through the cancer experience yeah. and be like, I would have never considered this as like a perspective mm -hmm. at all. And a good friend of mine is a doctor. And when she read it, she was just like, this has changed the way that I, I, that I handle my bedside manner for people who are having the cancer experience because it's, it, it you become dehumanized and that's not on purpose. Mm -hmm. It's just because of the, the, the need to survive your job yeah. becomes to live and mm -hmm. like it's at all costs. So any consideration for your needs or sensitivities or desires are kind of like brushed aside because that's not part yeah. of the goal. Yeah. Did you find that too? Like I know with ours, um, when our son was diagnosed with type one diabetes, it was like their best trainer came in to talk to us about it. But I remember her yelling at me and getting mad because we let him choose certain foods when she said, let him pick anything off the menu. And then got mad that he chose like orange juice and pancakes. And, you know, it was like, we didn't know, like we're learning carb counting and all this with shots. But it was like, when we called the number that said, if you're not happy with your experience, you know, we will talk to them. And, and she came back and apologized because like they're telling hundreds of people a day, you know, their kid is diagnosed, but they forget like you're hearing it the first time. Like, did you find that as part of your experience with that too? Of like, I'm not just a number here. 
Um, when I first switched hospitals, I was at one hospital mm-hmm. that was not good. And mm-hmm. I kind of had suspicions that they weren't good because it felt very like, this can't be right. Oh. And then when we switched to the other one, the first doctor I spoke to was is like top of her field on yeah. every single every single board. She's like number one in the world for this particular type of cancer. She's brilliant. Like five foot one and wears heels. Like she's yeah. she's brilliant. But when I sat down with her and she literally, I tell it in the book, like she picked up my slide and looked at it up to the light. And she's like, that's not what you have. And she was like, you've been misdiagnosed. This is the thing, that, whatever. And I was so gutted because I'd already gone through four mm-hmm. rounds of chemo and radiation. And I was like, oh my God, we're going to have to start all over again. And I said to her, how do you deal with so much death every day and so much bad news every day? And she put down my file and she was like, well, I kind of just put like every little patient in a box and I file it away in the back of my head and I don't think about it. And I was like, great, that sounds super healthy. <laughs> wow. Just avoid it all. I don't confront anything. I mean, I feel like I feel like you kind of there has to be some kind of level of disassociating in that in that kind of context, you know. Mm-hmm. So with yours, because I don't really know your story. I really was interested in like what were you doing in your life? when you found out you had cancer and then how has that kind of got you to where you are today? I was um, working full-time as an actor. Um, uh-huh. I was kind of, I was on an upswing uh, there. I was doing a production of Hairspray out in Reno, Nevada, oh, cool. um, which is how I met Nicole. And, okay. uh, and uh, I just like had this little lump under my arm and Ooh. it was very like, huh, that's weird. And um, I I had this big casting office from New York call me and ask me to come in for this Broadway show that they were then siphoning off to other like tours and other productions. And it was for one of the Mm -hmm. lead roles and I I wanted to go, but the show schedule wouldn't allow for it. Flying back was super expensive. I would have had like eight hours in New York City to do the audition and have to turn right back around and fly back. Mm -hmm. Um, and it was too big of a risk at the time for me to handle in hindsight, I should have done it because whatever, Mm. but it it was validating. It was very much like, Oh, like these people are calling me now. Cool. Um, and then by the time the end of that contract happened, I had like this grapefruit sized thing growing under my arm. Um, and that kind of like careened off into you know, I got back to the city, I had an appointment, I had a biopsy, I started chemo the next week, there was some insurance nightmare things that were happening. Mm-hmm. Um, and it just kind of like, it was a runaway train at that point. And I had people call me in the first couple months of treatment, because I did not tell people, I was very quiet mm-hmm. about it. Um, my closest friends and family knew, but I didn't want to put it out there. Because a lot of times you get people who are like, trauma junkies, that show up and like pretend to be your friend so that if anything would happen they'd be like, Oh, well I was there for them. And they were my best friend. And like, I've seen that happen. I've lost friends like who are my age, my whole life. And I see that happening every single day. Like, Oh, they were, we were so close. I'm like, they couldn't stand you. Why are you talking? You know? And I didn't want that for myself. If, if something would happen, I didn't want my family to have to deal with that. Um, but I didn't tell anyone. So I was getting calls from artistic directors and casting directors to be like, Hey, are you available for this? Can you come in for this? Mm. And it 
was so weird because part of me was like, can I pull this off? Could I do this? Like, I don't look that bad yet. And this, this part would only require that. And it just was playing, playing this game in my head. And my doctor at the first hospital, I was talking to her about this and she just goes, you have to let go of that right now. Mm-hmm. And I just completely fell apart because I finally had this momentum that I wanted. Yes. <laughs> and it yeah. just full stop. It was like, you know, when you're in a car and someone pulls out in front of you and you have to slam on the brakes and everyone's just like, <gasps> like, yeah. that's what that was. Oh, and you're right. You mentioned some huge things because it is. It's like, why does it happen when it's like the momentum, right? With these cycles where you're like, things are going so well. I don't want to go through this. And that's like, <sighs> And um. <laughs> yeah, that's exactly like I think our photography studio, that was one of the first businesses we started together, my husband and I, and it was amazing. It was like, we had all the high-end wedding clients and we had this amazing studio. It was like almost 2000 square feet and everything was great. And then it was like, wait, we need to go to the hospital. Our son's breathing heavy and we go and he's diagnosed with type one diabetes. And it was like, oh my gosh, like it wasn't that we sold our business. We just stopped. Like we literally just were like, we, this is not going to work right now because like you said, there's only so much attention. And when you're not getting rest or like with your situation, I'm sure with your treatments, you have to take some things off your plate, right? To make space for whatever is this next chapter in your story. So how did you kind of navigate that? I mean, I, I was really lucky that I had a fantastic support system in my family. Mm -hmm. Um, It brought us closer together where we were at. And um, as as something like that would. (laughs) For sure, right? You find out who's your actual tribe. Yeah. Well, and that that is kind of like the big takeaway. I had um, one of my, who I perceived was one of my closest friends. Yeah. After I told them I had cancer, they never spoke to me again. Mm. Um, Ever. We had, I think, one text exchange after that. um, And uh, never spoke to me again. And I was dating someone at the time who about two or three rounds of chemo in found out they were dating someone else. And I, there was like a whole like conversation about engagement and everything else down the road when everything was over. And that just completely fell apart and, you know, pulled the rug out from under me. And I I think like in hindsight, that's a, I think that's a very interesting conversation Mm -hmm. because your, your initial reaction to that is like, what a jerk. You know, like right. what an absolute dumpster <laughs> fire human. But like, if I were in the opposite situation, what would I do? You know, like I, I had a friend a long time ago whose girlfriend had ALS. Um, mm. Very fast onset. She went from being a dancer to not being communicable at oh, all. She was like talking on the Stephen Hawkins computer. Um, and he asked one of my friends out on a date. And she was like, you have a girlfriend. And he Mm -hmm. was like, I am her boyfriend. She is not my girlfriend. And it was this really interesting perspective that helped me with my perspective on on my situation when I was um, going through that, where it's like, he was there for her because that's what she needed. But -hmm. there was a very, very true reality that she will not survive and he will have to continue to live. Mm-hmm. And so it's this really weird power dynamic imbalance um, that like, I did not have any power in this situation because yeah. I didn't know what was going to go on or what was going to mm-hmm. happen. 
And I was relying very heavily on this person mm-hmm. to be there for me. And that's a lot to ask of someone, especially yeah. someone that you are not married to, that you are mm-hmm. not, you don't have a whole lot of history with. Yeah. And so I, of course, was furious when I found out, mm-hmm. but that was because I was scared. And it's such a weird thing to have to go through. Sure. To be this person left me, but I understand why. Mm-hmm. You're right. You bring up a really good point too. Cause it's like, like I told you before, my husband and I met when we were 15, right? And we got yep. married at 20. I turned 21 on our honeymoon. And it was like, now after being married 25 years, it's like, we have so many friends who have gotten divorced and, you know, different people that they date and they're like, oh, not the right person. But, you know, some people are like, how could you stay together through all that stuff? Because we've been through some really hard stuff with health and then miscarriages and our son getting diagnosed and why, you know, um, losing his parents to cancer. And it was like, there is a different level of commitment. I remember on those really hard days being like, I signed up for this, right? <laughs> like in sickness and in health, we're richer for poor, right? And so if if someone has not committed to you that way, I mean, it's like, if you look now at your point, it's not easy when you're going through it. But if you can see the blessing, because what I see is like the right person for you is going to stay and it's not going to matter what you go through. They might pause. Like I've had times where I'm like, I, this is too much. I'm like overwhelmed. I need a minute like to regroup. But then it's like, yeah, we're going to the hospital. You know, yeah, we're going to work through these things. And that's, I think, where you really find your actual like friends, your family, like you said, that brought you guys closer, you know, that yeah. love, like we had friends who were like, Oh, we can't have you come to play group anymore. Cause we don't want our kids to catch type one diabetes. And I'm like, are you kidding me? Like, are you joking me? But wow. we did, we had people who wouldn't, wouldn't talk That's to us anymore. You know, <laughs> it doesn't make any sense. And then we had other friends that like Joe Madden, I don't know if you know, like Madden football, but Joe Madden, um, John mm-hmm. Madden's son, his son has type one diabetes also. And so we met at a really cool camp, a part of foundation event. And we've been like best friends ever since, but like we both get it on a totally different level. And I'm sure you feel like that. Like you meet people who've been through your experience and like, there's just mm-hmm. a deeper level of understanding. And you're like, I get it. Like we, well, we can it, talk on a whole different level. Yeah. Well, and it's also just kind of like, like you said, like knowing exactly who's going to go to bat for you. And that changes you. That changes you as a person. Because I feel like not a lot of people have that. And that was kind of a a realization that someone pointed out to me during COVID where like they said to me, you're so lucky to have this really strong core group of friends. I don't know anyone else who has that. And Mm. I was like, what do you mean? Everybody has that, right? Like everybody. And it's not true. And when you go something, when you go through something serious like a diabetes diagnosis or cancer treatment or whatever that thing is, yeah. you really see who your real friends are. And it hurts, but it is absolutely a blessing in the end because you're like, I don't need those people. They weren't doing anything. Yeah, it's true. And I find now too, like I'm way more protective of my energy. <laughs> like I used to just like everyone everywhere. Like, and sometimes I still will. I'll be like, okay, goodwill. I want to just help this person. But you ever notice when sometimes you'll you'll feel like someone like kind of tapped into your energy and it's like this leech feeling where you're just like where is that coming from? I need to like have some more boundaries. Cause, cause I don't, I don't just... know if you've ever I don't know if you've ever seen the show What We Do in the Shadows on Hulu. Mm-hmm. It's like this a satirical like vampire reality TV show. But oh, one right. of the guys 
one of the guys is an energy vampire. He's not like a regular mm. vampire vampire and he just like comes around you and just like makes you uncomfortable and just sucks all the energy out of you and that's how he lives it but and i i use that terminology all the time now i'm like oh that person's an vampire <laughs> yeah. yeah it's true and you can feel yeah. it like yeah. i used to do a lot of like one-to-one -one work with people in like that transformation space and like helping overcome and at one point i was just like oh my gosh my clients are doing amazing but i feel like i'm dying like it's, it's so empathic <laughs> Until I got my skills where I'm like, okay, I can help you without letting it affect me. Like you get to a different place in your journey, right? But man, I tell those new coaches, I'm like, watch out because yeah. you will have people who just come in for like, you're right, and energy suck. And, well, and that's also like, going, yeah, and that's going also going back to what I was saying about how I didn't want to tell people that I had yeah. cancer or, or where my hospital was or that I was going through something mm -hmm. because I knew that like in addition to energy vampires, you have like the trauma junkies who yes. like need to be around it and it's depleting to you and when you're in a situation like that like you can't you can't give that up like you can mm -hmm. you really should only be around trusted people because it's depleting yeah. and you need everything you got when you're in this situation like that so i'm curious going with that then with your treatments and what you went through how long was it after that that you actually published your book um it was about it was four years since I wrote it and it was five when I published the first okay. time. Mm -hmm. Then I took it away because self-publishing, you can only do so much when you're self-publishing. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, and so reissuing it 10 years later, well, five years later for the 10 year cancer anniversary survivorship situation. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. It's been 10 years since I was told, literally 10 years almost to the day that I was told that I was cancer free. And only on, at that point when I was told that did I post anything on social media. I like put really? a thing up like, hey everyone, like some of you may have noticed I've been MIA. This is what's going on. I just was told right now that I am cancer free. So I'm letting you know that I'm okay. This is what I've been going through. Um, and I'm just going to be kind of like working on it from there. <laughs> yeah, but the, how cool, by the way, I wanted to tell you, I'm so proud of you and so happy you're here. And not everybody chooses to take a challenge like that and turn it into something that I think is a legacy piece. Like you're sharing your heart story, you're making it a humorous experience, even in a musical. So people can learn from that, you know, experience as well. And you know, one of the goals, like be inspired, you know, just hearing it, right? I was like, yeah, I want to have you on the podcast. Like <laughs> I want people to connect with people who've overcome challenges and are spreading more positivity about it. You know, maybe somebody will actually go get something checked that they wouldn't have because you shared your story, yeah. you know? Well, and, and to that, I let it go. Like I found that lump, mm -hmm. I think June or July of 2011. Yeah. And I didn't go get it really looked at until November of 2011. Wow. And it, it started out as like this little like chickpea sized thing mm -hmm. and turned into this grapefruit thing yeah. um, in a period of time. And I, and there was stuff in the back of my head that I was like, go get this check. But I was right. afraid to, I was afraid to. Um, and I was right on the cusp of it turning into stage two. Um, it was like stage one B and if we would have breached over to stage two it would have been a very different conversation because mm -hmm. yeah. it was it was so rare and so undocumented um that the first hospital didn't know what to do at all and the second hospital barely knew what to do um so it, you know it was it was a weird weird place to be in but if you have a 
a question of something that's going on in your body, go get it checked. Please go it, get it checked. <laughs> yeah. Well, I'm really glad that you mentioned that because it is, there's this awareness of things and people like put it off and it's like, if you're still here today. I mean, 10 years yeah. after, like, and as soon as you do notice it's a problem, like do something about it. You know what yeah. I mean? Like get it in there. Like yeah. there's and, like, that I don't like doctors. Well, you're not supposed to. They're not designed that way. Like, go anyway. It's for your yeah. own good. <laughs> mm -hmm. That's true. That's such a big deal. And so I'm curious, you decided to take this part and put it into a story. You know, most people, they say like 90% of people want to write a book. 10% of us ever actually do anything about it and publish. And so what are the bigger aspirations from this book with this story? If you were kind of going to be like your legacy of why you wrote this, what's the message you want to share? Um, so I, I really want to, like I said before, I want to touch on the conversations that like are not had with cancer patients. Mm -hmm. Um, the dating relationship component is certainly yeah. one of, um, I touch on the, uh, the conversation of like sex and self care under that, uh, conversation within the book. I yeah. talk about, um, like career mindset and like family mm -hmm. dynamic mindset. And none of these things are things that doctors will tell you. Okay. And if they, and like, if you're lucky enough that they have, like they're, they don't know you well enough to really comment on it. So it's really kind of something that you need to advocate for yourself. Mm -hmm. um, so there is a lot of that in the book and that is the conversation I wanted to bring up. Now, as far as like the trajectory for the book, like it's mm -hmm. out, it's on Barnes and Noble, it's on Booktopia, it's on Amazon, yeah. it's on Kindle. I'm in the process of doing the audiobook, so that'll be a thing that's going to come out. Um, cool. But I, so I've also started adapting it into a musical TV show, nice. and uh, we're I'm hopefully going to be in production for the pilot by next year, and um, I'm I'm really excited about it. <laughs> Yeah. I mean, that's cool because you're taking it. It's it's the book form, which people love because they have different ways to access right away. And then obviously fall in love with the character, which is you and all the experiences throughout the book. Then when they have the show, <laughs> they're going to get even a more you know intimate experience. Is that something you picture touring with? Is it all going to be virtual? What do you think? I mean, it's going to be a TV show, like hopefully mm -hmm. streaming on Netflix mm -hmm. or or whatever. And of course, if that happens and we're fortunate enough to have it be um, a, a higher profile thing, then there will be press junkets and we'll be touring around that way. But as far as putting it on stage goes, yeah. um, in that format, in that kind of touring format, I I don't know. I don't want to say no, but it's it's not the more immediate goal for it. For right now, it's, it's getting the pilot shot and doing mm -hmm. the festival circuit and doing the whole TV game to make that's that awesome. happen. And that's the thing by being featured on different podcasts, like the connections you make, the people who might listen to this, you have people who are philanthropists who might want to help support your cause. Um, I think everybody at this, some, at this point either knows somebody who's been through cancer, lost someone to cancer or has cancer. And so it's like a very universal topic that people might want to be a part of. And then, um, I like the humor component that's involved because like yeah. I said, again, when you can add that, it's like you're educating, but it's also entertainment and it's an interactive way through comedy. I don't think there's enough comedy in the world personally, but. Same. Um, <laughs> but also, and, and also just like when I, I mentioned to you before, like, um when i wrote this yeah. and kind of realized that i wanted it to be this like musical fantasy alternative reality thing mm -hmm. i immediately went to like the rob marshall lens of how he shot 
Chicago, Mm -hmm. um, the movie. And that, that to me is how my brain worked while I was writing this book. Mm -hmm. So yes, it's a book, but it has always been a TV show to me. So like, I'm really excited to kind of get that component down and shoot it in a way that is like this, not like parts of it'll be eerie. The concept would be that like the people around the main character are the cancer. And like, as things kind of unravel, it gets more heightened reality than just being in normal reality. Um, And by the end, you're just like stepping into this insane fantasy world. Like this, like, we don't have enough time to explain. <laughs> you know what? In, in listening to you talk, though, I'm like, uh, with so much of my training background, you are more in reality on that than you know. Like the things people <laughs> say, like the stuff that like has been done to people. It's like amazing the clearing, the health that happens when you get some of those things like not attached to you anymore. It's very yeah. interesting. I love that take on that. That's so cool. Yeah, it's I'm I'm really excited about it, and of yeah. course like, having a background in musicals, like very excited about that. Yes, <laughs> and that's the thing. Like honestly, I wanted to have you on here to spotlight your talents, to showcase like and open to possibilities because a lot of people who are creatives, which you are creative, they have a hard time actually sticking to one thing long enough to write a book. You know, there is this aspect, right, of finishing things. And so I wanted to send you some applause on that. And (laughs) there will be people who listen to this podcast because they are excited about, like authors bring in a totally different group of listeners that they want to write a book or they're going to hear, whoa, you went through cancer. And how did you do that in a way that like, look at the way you show up in the world. Like you travel, you bring this bright energy and like you see, yeah, you've been through something hard, but look at now what you can compare it to. Like going through chemo, I've never had it, but my friends who I've seen, it's no picnic. And so comparing it to that, you know, you're like, eh, is today really as hard as that? Like you probably have a totally right. different. Well, but, but also, also on, on that same line of thought, like I've had people say to me like, oh, you know, I'm complaining to you about this, but you had cancer. So like, what am I talking about? And it's kind of oh. like, okay, like I understand the the easy comparison there, but also like, like your your hardships are yours mm-hmm. and they're not mine and vice yeah. versa and yeah. so like my experience doesn't negate anything mm-hmm. that you're doing it is all relative you know yeah. if if the most traumatic thing that happened to you today is that like you know the the water in your house wasn't cold it wasn't hot enough for your shower <laughs> like then that's where you're at you know you're lost. <laughs> right like right. if the hardest thing i had to do today was chemo then like that's where i'm at and it's not yeah. they're not related and i i find a lot of times people will have that comparison where they're like mm-hmm. oh well you know you went through chemo so what am i complaining about it's like no you're allowed to complain go ahead yeah yeah exactly when well, it's not invalidating Right. It doesn't negate anything that you're going through. It's, and it's a, that was a weird thing I noticed pretty straight out the gate where people were like, oh my goodness, I thought I had it bad. And it was like, Mm -hmm. okay, well, (laughs) not as bad as I did, but that's not the point. (laughs) No, we're not comparing. Like, I always thought that was an interesting comment. I've literally had people whose kid went through cancer and they're like, I would, choose this over my kid getting type 1 diabetes because at least mine ends and i'm like okay i never thought of it that way. like it's an interesting link because you're like wow like they're like wow. my kid is cured i get that it's over like we have the celebration day and you're just like 
it's been 14 years. Like they promise a cure every year. It's like a cure is two years out. Right. Yeah. And you, you kind of get to this point, like, it's not that I don't want to cure. Believe me, I want to cure. But eight years, 10 years, like we invested so much flying to studies. And my son literally was in studies every single year for eight years where it's like sometimes every month, um, sometimes every three months, whatever. But he just, he was in these because he wanted to cure. And a big shift for me happened when I was like, <clears throat> I, I just have to live with it. Like, um, it's type one, it's diabetes awareness month too. So this one always is like <clears throat> a little bit more emotional for me, but, um, when you want to cure so bad <laughs> and then finally you have to just get to the point where you're like, dang, it's, I can't live my life every day waiting for a cure. It's not healthy. Like it's not healthy because what it caused me to do <clears throat> was sorry <laughs> um okay. like i i was living like i was the same <clears throat> i was still trying to do like you know i can work the nine to five and i can do the weekends of the studio and nights and i don't have to sleep ever and i you know i was like rock star like all my friends were always like how do you do it you know like you you know do the special birthdays and make the you know perfect house and you homeschool your kids oh, it was like all these things and then one day I literally crashed. I was like, I'm so tired. And it was like <clears throat> literally a moment for me where it's not like I drink a lot, but it was like my husband and I would like get wine for a date night or whatever. And there was a very specific moment, like probably 10 years ago where it was like, we had had a date night. I had drank a couple glasses and then my son had a super severe low blood sugar that night. And I just remember, like, I had to get with it, like, fully, you know, I have to help him. And I was like, I can't afford in my life to ever have even one moment of irresponsibility, period. And I, I didn't drink since. It was just one of those where it was like, this person is depending on me to live. And when I was like, okay, there is no cure. <clears throat> so we're going to have to adapt our life to live with this. And I will be grateful, believe me, <laughs> if there's ever a cure for type 1 diabetes. But the constant managing like it doesn't go away always the site changes it's horribly expensive and like well i want that cure there was like this big relief that happened when it was just like you know what this is our life now yeah there's going to be people who don't talk to us because they think their kid's going to catch type 1 diabetes which is ridiculous um ridiculous. yes there's going to be yeah i mean giving your kid i remember when he did insulin shots like when you have to sit at the table and pull out this needle and inject they look at you like you're using drugs and you're like he has to have this to eat. Like it was just the craziest thing to me. And when he got his pump and yeah, he has a sensor and all this, like there's more tech, but um, you know, just going, how can we adapt? That's why I'm like queen of the two hour work day. Like literally it's like, no, you have to have time for naps. I had to adapt my life. Like my sweet window is 10 to 12 <laughs> because it was like, if he had low blood sugar, guess what? When you're up all night, you can't do a nine to five. And so letting that go. And I'm sure like, I'd love to hear your, kind of journey with that too but it was like this is a different life now like I have to lay down that old life for my new life and you know what <laughs> it's like things actually got so much better like we made more than ever we di we didn't live like we had tomorrow we dropped everything like literally and toured with our kids full-time for three years and it was like you you don't live in that space like there's gonna be here tomorrow it's like you know what what if there's not <laughs> like let's live right. today right yeah, let's there's... make our story work <laughs> Yeah, there's there's one a comparative story I'll make and then I have to hop off here. But like um, I used to have a friend who worked with this woman. They worked in like high end retail, whatever. And yeah. 
very commission heavy for very yeah. high things. And yeah. she was in her sixties and lived like a church mouse her entire life so that oh, she could wow. So that she could save up enough money to buy a beach house and mm -hmm. she flew down to florida to look at beach houses and she was between appointments to see one beach house and another and she decided to go to the beach and just like sit on the beach for a little while yeah. she had a heart attack and died on the beach she never got her beach house and she never actually lived much of a life outside of work and so it's very much like like your situation with your son and like my situation also it just gives you a totally different perspective yeah. where you're like you know what like this could have gone badly and if it did it, am i happy with the life that i lived prior to that and if the answer is no and you have a second chance it's like okay stop screwing around let's go and just do it you know like there's too much there's too much life to be lived to be on pause oh my gosh i love so much that we had your interview today and getting to know your story like seriously your trip to paris i was like buddy do it like do all the things like the fact that you're still here it I is a miracle huh? <laughs> i need to go back yeah right don't we all need to go back to paris i feel like the same and go to that special place i told you the soup is amazing. i will i will, I will. <laughs> uh, okay so everybody you need to buy edward's book it's amazing i'm so excited to get my copy i want to sign copy though so i'm probably gonna have to pay you direct so i can get one um where can people find your books where can they connect with you where should people know all the things edward miski so they can manifest the amazing things in their life and literally sure, sure. So, today yeah so the book is called uh cancer musical theater and other chronic illnesses um it is available it is the 10-year cancer survivorship anniversary edition it is available on barnes and noble on amazon on booktopia on indigo on kindle the audiobook is coming out soon um and otherwise you can follow me on instagram which is just at edward miski that's awesome and edward i'm sure just to open the door because you have mentioned so many things today like i can think program wise for mentoring authors to people who want to share their story to their legacy like all the cool things you're doing um, if they want to be able to get in touch with you directly, because we know you can't save your way to success. It's like, I believe in multiple streams of income to expand. And you are such a resource. You said your whole life since you were five, you've been acting in a theater and absolute expert in that arena. Yep. Amazing. So we look forward to you guys in the comments. I'm going to put all the ways that you can get in touch with Edward. You can buy his books. You're going to hear his story. He's going to be doing speaking events. He's going to have this amazing show coming up. And I know a lot of people who are going to be interested in helping be a part of your project. So I will connect them and send them your way, Edward. That sounds wonderful. <laughs> <laughs> okay, buddy. Have an amazing day. Do you have any last comment? Or I always ask our listeners, uh, if you were going to write a hashtag to your younger self, what would it be? Um, hashtag to my younger self. Um, do it now. Awesome. That is perfect. Do it now. Okay, everybody. Do it now. If you need more advice on how to do that in amazing places and spaces, reach out to Edward because he just is full of all things cool, magical, joyous, and talk about an example for living now. And if you would just hear his one story about Paris on the deck and living so freely, you will <laughs> want to change your life and pack your suitcase today. So thank you, Edward, for taking the time. All right. Thank you so much, Trina. Okay. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye.